You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Hello and welcome to you, our favourite Null and Voider, wherever you are in the world. We are thrilled you're with us as we head into 2023. A big, big welcome and, of course, a very happy new year to you. Always at this time of year, it's important to both look back at some of the major sporting headlines and also to look forward to an exciting calendar of events for 2023. Looks magnificent when you look at that calendar. We have no room for a guest tonight, but there's so much to share with you in this episode 83 of the Null and Void Sports Podcast. But there is a brand new challenge going to be set by Andy later, so make sure you listen out for that. My name is Tony Grundy. Mine's Andy Callahan. Now, how did you actually survive the rigours of the festive period? Well, I went down with the lurgy, the cold and cough that seems to have been doing the rounds. It wasn't COVID, but it was the cold and cough. I think uh, by Boxing Day and the 27th, I sounded like Sammy the Sea Lion in terms of the way I was coughing and barking, but I managed to shake that off and in time to go and spend New Year's Day down at Maidenhead United, watching them uh, against Wealdstone. It was 17 years since I'd last been to a live football game. So you're not you're not a regular exactly then, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, so I, I would say it was an it was an enjoyable game. Good atmosphere. About 1,600 people had made the travel in from uh, obviously various New Year's Eve festivities and celebrations. I think there were a few people getting some fresh air to shake those off. Uh, a game for the purists, I'd say. It was a nil-nil in the rain. Um, Maidenhead looked awful in the first half and Wealdstone looked pretty good. In the second half, Wealdstone looked awful and Maidenhead looked pretty good. Um, both sides had a couple of chances saved by keepers, but yeah, as the weather got worse, the, uh, the, the football didn't get much better. So, What was the catering like? Well, funny you should mention that, Tony. Uh, I tried a magpie burger, which was very, very nice. And I thought, seeing as I'm here at the football, I haven't had a bovril in about 17 years since the last time I went to a football game. So I tried a bovril and then remembered two sips in why it was 17 years since I'd last had a bovril. It's awful, that stuff. It's like drain cleaner. So two sips and I chucked that. So uh, the burger was very tasty, but uh, an enjoyable day out. Uh, As I say, the quality wasn't amazing. What did make me laugh was they were advertising their next home game, which is next Tuesday. Won't be able to go because we'll be recording our episode. But they were talking about they're playing their local rivals, Marlow, in the Barks and Bucks Cup. Well, I remember playing in the Barks and Bucks Cup for Wooten at the age of 15. So it's a long time ago since I played in the Barks and Bucks Cup. But it's uh, certainly some higher level teams than when I played in it 30 plus years ago. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, we were fairly quiet at Grundy Towers because um, Fran, our daughter, couldn't get her UK passport renewed in time. Combination of our postal strikes and inefficiency, I think, at the passport centre. So couldn't get it here in time for Christmas. So now she's coming in April. So it was just the two of us and Felix the cat. Sue, uh, you know, just to remind you, Sue had tested positive with COVID before Christmas and it was prolonged 13 consecutive days. So not much socialising for us. I tried to keep the training going 
to keep ahead of COVID. And so far, so good on that. But yeah, so fairly quiet Christmas and New Year. Poor Sue, I don't know what's worse. Uh, Long-term 13 days of COVID or 13 days of you're in an uninterrupted company. (laughs) (laughs) Nice of you to say so. Thank you. (laughs) Now, um, a little more serious note. In the world of football, there have been two major deaths uh, in the last week. Whilst I will talk in a short while about the death of Pelé, internationally known footballer, but before I do that, I want to pay null and void respects to George Cohen. George Cohen was a member of the England team that won the World Cup against Germany in 66 and played for many, many years for Fulham. He's a right fullback. He got into the team, the England team, ahead of that uh, Germany success because Jimmy Arnfield, who'd been there for a long time, was injured. George was a, a low profile but highly respected within the game. In fact, George Best described him as the best right back I ever played against. That's quite some compliment. Cohen was a modest individual, and his death now means only two members of that World Cup winning team now remain, Sir Jeff Hurst and Sir Bobby Charlton. R.I.P. George Cohen. Yeah, he's he's also got a link to the England Rugby World Cup winning team of 2010, because his nephew Ben was the the right winger. So uh, obviously right side was... uh, was a, was a favourite of the family, George at right back and Ben on the right wing. Yeah, he was a lo- lovely guy, George. Go on. Um, Pelé's death, of course, was much higher profile, as you would imagine. I say, of course, because Pelé was, in my opinion anyway, the greatest footballer that has ever lived. When he first came on the international scene, his team, Brazil, were hardly known. It sounds strange. In fact, Pelé's younger days at home in Brazil and then in those days, Brazil didn't even play in those yellow shirts, yellow and green shirts. They were white. So things changed a lot and they changed in a big way for them because during Pelé's reign, they won the World Cup three times. As a player, no other player has ever done that. So that record still stands. The Brazilian government officially made him a, quote, national treasure. The reason they did that was to stop him playing elsewhere in the world over the major part of his playing career. Everybody wanted him, Real Madrid, Manchester United, et al. They tried very hard. He played his club football for his local team, mainly that was for Santos. He did actually in his later career, you know, more or less when he was semi-retired, play in America you know, the exhibition type stuff, Mm. was very successful and popular there. Many years later, and this is a personal connection for me, in fact, in 1977, I had the massive privilege of meeting him in London at the launch of his book, My Life and the Beautiful Game. I interviewed him for the radio station I worked at in Portsmouth, Radio Victory, at that time. I still have the signed book and a picture of the two of us together as I was interviewing him. My producer on the day, the amazing, amazingly talented George East, 
George looked after all the mechanics like you do on this podcast, Andy. <laughs> and I got him to take a picture. But I also, I, I, it meant I could just concentrate on swooning over Pele, which I, I very definitely did. But he was lovely. And um, I even got him to record an audio message for Portsmouth Football Club. The reason for doing that was they were having real financial problems and had launched SOS Pompey. I was able to play this out at the next Portsmouth match. Of all the famous people I interviewed on the weekly sports programme, Pelé was the best ever, in my opinion. Quite apart from that, without doubt, the best ever footballer. R.I.P. Pelé, you were my absolute footballing hero. That's a big thing in my life anyway, because I saw him at his absolute peak over those World Cups, and he was absolutely outstanding. But I, I take, to be able to carry that off, and bearing in mind I was, he'd never met me in his life before, but he dealt with me with real dignity. You know, I was one of many media people interviewing him, but he treated everybody, and I watched him afterwards, he treated everybody with the utmost respect. And at the level he operated at, you know, you've got to, you've got to hold your hands up and say, that's a special person. To have all of that ability and no edge to him whatsoever is very, very special mm. indeed. So a big moment in time there. So two major deaths in football. So what have we got? Um, I think one of the things we should do is obviously start to look at the year that's just gone. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Um, they say, as the uh, song goes by Oasis, don't look back in anger. Yeah, that is that is it now. Yeah, yeah I think this singing's been catching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, there was oh, a couple of things. we look, Before we look back on the year, there was a story on the marathon man, wasn't there? You got Yeah, Ga Gary McKee. So... Uh, um, some people may have seen that um, through 2022, he set out to run a marathon every day for the year. And he completed it on New Year's Eve. He ran his 365th marathon of the year, um, completed that. Um, guy's 53 years of age, father yeah. of three, based in Cumbria. And he's been raising funds for Macmillan and the West Cumbria Hospice. And he's raised over a million pounds by running these events. Um, what is also amazing, as, apart from him running 26.2 miles every day for a year, often he was getting up early to get that 26.2 miles in before then going off and starting his shift at the nuclear plant, Sellafield, or doing a full day's work. And so he was either doing a marathon and then going and doing a full day's work or going and doing a full day's work, coming home and doing a marathon after that. Just unbelievable. So phenomenal achievement. Um, I totted it up. Over the year, he's run 9,563 miles. Just absolutely unbelievable. Apparently got through uh, 20 pairs of trainers as well. So, uh, yeah, just absolutely unbelievable, fantastic achievement by Gary McKee. I mean, to to do that, to churn out. I mean, you know, you and I both run marathons and yes. you feel the next day is pretty beaten up and bruised and achy. To get up and then think, I've got to do that again and then get up and do it again 
and again and again, 365 times. Just absolutely unbelievable. So what a great achievement. And to raise a phenomenal amount of money for two really worthy causes. So just, yeah, Gary McKee, brilliant achievement and really well done. All right, then. And really well done come under Sports View Personality of the Year as well. Um, in terms of who the awards went to, we had some real favourites in there, didn't we? Obviously, Beth Mead, uh, Sports View Personality of the Year. Very pleasing that the team of the year was the Lionesses. Selena Wayman, um, a real talent as coach, coach of the year. And probably just relating to that one, Rob Burrows and Kevin Senfield got the Helen Rollinson Special Award. Yeah, so Rob Burrow got the Helen Rollinson Award um, for, uh, you know, uh, achievement in the face of adversity and the, the amount he's done to raise awareness and support for MND. Absolutely fantastic. And then Kevin Sinfield, a special award uh, for running those seven ultra marathons in seven days to support both Rob and raise funds and awareness for um, four MND charities. And I think he raised over two and a half million pounds in that week doing that. He got um, a special award. And what was really touching and nice to see was that he was presented that award by Doddy Weir's son. Um, you yeah. know, Doddy Weir having just recently passed away with yeah. MSD. So really nice to see his son on stage in a pair of, just like Doddy carrying on the tradition, pair of really outlandish tartan trues, um, but handing over the award to Kevin Sinfield. And, and what a humble guy, amazing guy. We'll talk about him a bit later on, but just amazing. We, we will in another contact, indeed. Okay, um, looking back on the remarkable year, do you want to do that look back in anger again, in case people? Didn't <laughs> no, like I think the support? listeners have listeners have been subjected to it once. <laughs> anyway, it was a good effort. Well, I'll wait for the postback. Yeah. Now, uh, looking back on the year, I got football first, but just on the sports for personality thing, it really fits because female first. Um, the Lionesses winning the Euros, not just winning, but in real style. And it's still fixed in my mind. I don't know about you, but it's a, an absolute credit to the women's game and a massive step forward to the WSL, right through to grassroots. I think it's done such a good job. A truly impressive coach. And the games were played in exactly the right way, the whole tournament, really, not just the way we play. You impressed with it? Definitely. And I mean, the atmosphere, you know, it was the, the country, it sort of snowballed and a whole, by the final, the whole country were gripped by it, watching it, engaging with it. And yeah, it was it was brilliant. For me, one of the lasting memories will be that watching the build up to, I think it was the Netherlands-Sweden game and the, the yellow and orange jerseys split, yeah. you know, walking down to the ground together and then just almost splitting out into two colours as they went into their separate sides of the ground. But yeah, just absolutely the 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 fun, the atmosphere, the the fans enjoying it, a real it seems to be like a party every stadium at the end of the game, you know, the the music blaring, the fans singing and cheering along with the teams, just superb. And it shows after all the idiocy that went around the men's euros the year before and the final at Wembley and the 
the absolute plant pots and bin lids that um, stormed the barricades there just to see the flip side and see actually what happens when people who enjoy football and want to go and enjoy it rather than go along and being prats, just fantastic. Yeah, it's it, it's a brilliant memory from last year and probably the outstanding one in many ways uh, from my point of view. On the male side of football, uh, ultimate failure, Qatar World Cup, we talked about that as an event, but Southgate has decided he wants to stay and I think it was very much that way round. They were giving him time to decide. And I think the good news about that is the hope that comes with the youngsters that are coming into the team now, um, you know, with the World Cup not that far away. Um, so, yeah, looking back again, City Premier League winners last May, it seems a very long time ago now. Yeah. And now we're entering the second part of what I call the World Cup interrupted season. So it's, you know, more on that, on up-to-date stuff shortly. But a strange old year in many ways ending up on that with, you know, Premier League football returning on Boxing Day. Rugby Union? Definitely been a funny old year with Wasps and Worcester going to the wall. Obviously, Eddie got the elbow in November with the England team being booed off the pitch at Twickenham, which is, uh, you know, with nine months to go until the World Cup. Not great, but then Steve Borthwick coming in this week alone. There's been some big announcements about the changes to his coaching team. I think the great thing is on that ticket again, not banging on about him, but he's got Sir Kev on his team, Sir Kevin Simfield, um, as the defense coach. I think that could be he could do for England what Sean Edwards did for Wales and what Andy Farrell's done for Ireland. So I think that could be a really exciting signing. And then, of course, on the more positive, the Women's World Cup. Again, record crowds, fantastic atmosphere down in New Zealand. I think 43,000 watched the final, which was a record for a women's international. England were unlucky and just pipped at the post by New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand had looked all at sea 12 months ago, getting beaten by all and sundry on their Northern Hemisphere tour a year out from their home World Cup. But uh, turned it round. Um, Wayne Smith, the legendary All Blacks coach, came in, worked with the team. And absolutely, you've got to say, you know, it was the two best teams in the world playing in the final. And New Zealand just came out on top. So really brilliant credit to them. But I think, you know, what the Red Roses have done is really shown that this investment in terms of full-time professional contracts is paying off. And the great thing is that the RFU and Bill Sweeney, in amongst all the mistakes and uh, foolhardiness that they've made this year, they've continued <laughs> to back that and they've said they've made a commitment to continue the funding and backing of the women's professional and elite programme. So really good news on that one. And really <laughs> That's good. That's 2025 in the World Cup in England. Yeah. Uh, rugby league? What are you thinking there? Yeah, well, again, World Cups. World Cup seems to be dominating the uh, the theme. Obviously, it was the World Cup for the men's, women's, wheelchair and uh, physically disabled uh, games in England um, this year. So uh, Australia were dominant in the men's and women's World Cups, uh, winning both of those in style. I got to enjoy watching a number of the games at the different grounds. I think we've given you an update of 
the travels up and down the north and what food was on uh, offer at which ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, the wheelchair team, the England men's wheelchair team, what a great performance by them to beat France in the final and win the World Cup. Uh, they were denied so closely four years ago and to turn that around. And what is great about that team is that it's a real beacon carrier for inclusivity because it's not just wheelchair-bound players. There are wheelchair-bound players and physically able-bodied players playing together on this team. And I think that's great in terms of what you saw there, the cohesiveness and the the togetherness of that team. And and what a brutal sport. Some of the tackles flying in, uh, absolutely brutal. But yeah, to beat France in the dying minutes of a really close, hard-fought game, absolutely fantastic to see that. So yeah, um, great. And then obviously linking to it was the seven ultra marathons in seven days that kept yes. finished at Old Trafford uh, at halftime in the men's final and raised, as we said, over two and a half million pounds for MND charities, which is just unbelievable. You know, 50 Ks plus each day for seven days um, to, to raise that sort of money. Just brilliant. Yeah. And you were there. Yeah. Uh, so next up I got was cricket. And there's plenty to say on that in the sense of if at the beginning of last year we'd had the conversation, and I'm sure we did, about the travails of England test match team, you know, in West Indies, for instance, when we were saying what a shambles. Uh, the revival of the Red Bull game with a new coach and a new captain, what a change. I think even the most optimistic of us couldn't have predicted what was going to happen. And the, I mean, the buzz ball, as um, I know the England team hate it being called, but that the media have picked up on, just amazing. They've completely changed the face of Test cricket and the the pace it's played at. That tour of Pakistan, you know, sort of the scoring at a rate of five and a half, six and over in a Test match is just ridiculous and unheard of. Yeah. No, I think there's some lovely stuff in there. And I think we've both waxed lyrical uh, about the captain. I think he's done a, a brilliant job, Stokes. And he is a real, real leader, Something, somebody special. Not only his ability, but clearly his ability to make a team want to play and enjoy it at the same time. That's the big thing I can see now. So uh, brilliant stuff there. Female game as well. Some impressive progress there with the T20 and the ODI. Yeah, I mean, the women were runners-up, you know, think way back to February, March um, last year, runners-up in the World Cup final, the 50-over uh, final, beaten by a supreme. That Australia team is one of the best women's teams to have ever played the game. So I think it's no shame to come second best there. And then, of course... At the end of the year, bookended by the men's T20 World Cup. Uh, yeah. And England won that with a great performance. You know, you talk about leadership and Stokes as the captain in the test team. Well, really great for Joss Butler as the captain lifting that after he was so heavily criticised when he first took over from Owen Morgan in the middle of the year. And then yet again, Captain Marvel, Ben Stokes, stepped up in the final against Pakistan and made sure that we got over the line and became the first men's team to hold both the 50 over oh, yeah, yeah. and the 20 over World Cup 
at the same time. Yeah, some exciting stuff there. Um, tennis, obviously, you know, we have the Novak Djokovic um, being banned from the Australian Open because of his reluctance to have any kind of uh, vaccination. Uh, he'll be there this time. but and, and I suppose the other big headline for me anyway in tennis terms, uh, and maybe next week we can get Justin Cook in uh, to talk about the Australian Open, but the retirement of Roger Federer and Serena Williams retiring, I think, retiring, um, you know, that's a major, major end of an era, isn't it? There's no doubt about that. Definitely, yeah. You know, you sort of look at how they've dominated the men's and women's games, respectively, over the years. You know, obviously Federer in recent years, well, you know, has had the battle. There's been that four-way battle, him, Murray, Nadal and Djokovic. Will there ever be um, an era like that? You know, likewise, Serena, you know, up against her sister, Venus, and the battles they had through the early part of their careers until Venus retired. Just phenomenal. So, you know, the two of them, absolute tennis legends and i think yeah you know um we'll be lucky to i think we can count ourselves lucky to have seen um a, an epoch like that let alone an era yeah no, quite right too um i got um a brief mention for golf because it was again a big year in the sense of the arrival of liv the saudi funded breakaway league and the pga that's caused a massive split and it's not going to go away. And when we look at the calendar for next year, there's going to be one or two sort of clashes. You just you think, what is going to happen there? But it, a lot of people, I think you said at one stage, uh, well, certainly somebody said to me, it'll be a short lasting uh, occasion, uh, LIV. Well, it's going on again next year and $750 million prize money. It's, it's obscene, really, when you say that, but it's caused a ginormous split in the game. We'll talk more about it when we look at some of the dates for next year later on. One last mention on terms of sports from last year. I've written down Commonwealth Games, Birmingham. Big memories. Yeah, yeah. Again, to use the phrase, I was there. So yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed the rugby and some fantastic... I mean, we we did a, a nylon void road trip to the warm up event, the test event, yeah. Yeah. and some great achievements there. You know, uh, um, again, I think for me, the memories of watching Laura Muir, watching Ailish McColgan, Jake Whiteman winning medals, just brilliant. Yeah, and then obviously the rugby sevens is always a good day out. Although, uh, don't tell Coventry City and Mike Ashley about the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, right. Moving swiftly on, up-to-date stuff. We'll just cover a few subjects before we look at the calendar for next year. Um, football, well, renewal, as we said, of the Premier League season. Arsenal at the moment, seven points clear at the top. I never thought I'd be saying that, but they are. A uh, long, long way to go, of course, but you've got some strange happenings. I mean, Liverpool don't look anything like the team they were last season. They've just lost to Brentford. And tonight, the biggest game is actually Arsenal versus Newcastle. Again, I didn't think I'd be saying that, but it is. And, yeah, and first against the really cool. Yeah, um, I'm not confident. I think that Newcastle will suffer the same fate as a Mars bar in a Glasgow chip shop 
and get absolutely battered. Um, so, uh, yeah, not confident on that one. But also something I, I never thought I'd be saying this year and uh, Manchester United up to fourth. I know, I know, I know. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's a bit better. <laughs> Looking a bit better and they're playing later. So we will see. And I'll just say very briefly, Infantino has spoken again. You can't believe that man. What has he said? I can't even be bothered to read it. He's now said that FIFA would like and would ask every country in the world to name a stadium after Pele, uh, you know, after the great man's passing. Just every time Infantino opens his trap, there's more and more twaddle comes out. He's definitely, it must be something to do with the um, the role and some malaise that affects people who get that role because Sepp Blatter was exactly the same. And, you know, the twaddle that that man spoke when he was in in office, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I've, I've got some suggestions there for England. I mean, we could call it Wembley um, <laughs> or maybe rename one of the London clubs and call their stadium the London Palladium. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 thing, the thing is with him, at a time when the whole world is looking at Pele and the funeral and all the rest of it, he has to come up with something that diverts attention to him. So, yeah, I, I rather we didn't mention him, but we almost have to. Yeah, Move I mean, on. he came very close to our get a grip this week, but uh, we've got even bigger buffoonery to talk about in there later on. All right, well, let's briefly talk about the WSL, because uh, currently Chelsea are top, Arsenal second, United third. Big games coming up on the 15th of January. Arsenal against Chelsea and United at home to Liverpool. Arsenal, though, are without Beth Mead and fellow striker Vivian Miedem, Miedemo, Miedema. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> Have I got that right? Miedema. Miedema. I have no idea. Yeah, Miedema. Um, and, and they've both got ACL injuries. Currently, they've also got a total of six key players out injured. So that whilst Arsenal are in second place at the moment, that's definitely affecting them. And so the transfer window for, for them is going to be very important. I mean, I know we've touched on it recently, but yeah, out of the four, this year's four women's Ballon d'Or um, nominees, three of them are currently out with ACL injury. Yeah. So there's it, a... It, it really is an issue, Andy. And I, I, I touched on some of the initial research but that is quite a serious, you know, because you, with ACL, you're talking about months, not weeks. Yeah, yeah. So there's a big call for research into possible causes uh, and why it tends to be a much more prevalent injury in the women's game. So without getting into the science and uh, no. things like that, because we're certainly not scientifically uh, minded or bright enough to uh, comment on that. But, yeah, I, I think definitely something that needs looking into and hopefully they can find out what the causes are and then look at how players are managed in a way that can reduce that because yeah you know it could be they are career affecting and potentially career ending injuries obviously on the rugby front england's new setup is getting things together the big changes there i think yep in both as we trust is the new uh <laughs> Is the new manager, so he's kept on Richard Cockrell, the king of the Umpa Lumpers, 
and he's brought in Kev Simfield. Um, Matt Proudfoot has been released, the forwards and scrum coach. I think after England's scrum were marmalised by the Springboks, that, that was sort of the writing on the wall for him. Um, they're looking at some of the other roles at the moment, some some coaches who hadn't even really taken up uh, residence or unpacked their uh, desk or their inbox um, that Eddie had brought in in the late part of 2022 um, have already been uh, released and England are now looking at what they want to bring in to the setup ongoing in the build-up to the World Cup in France in September and October. Yeah, we've got the Tennis Australian Open coming up soon. As I say, if we can get Justin Cook to come in and give us the detail, that starts... Monday the 16th of right? January. So, yeah, yeah, building up to that. I see Emma Raducanu has just won a tournament in Auckland um, as one of her warm-up tournaments in that part of the world. So... Um, hopefully that could be good news and see her starting to come back to some sort of tournament form. All right. Now let's have a look at the calendar. I mean, to be honest, we could be here for the rest of this evening. And, you know, in terms of the real detail, we'll cover some of the headlines. And I'm sure Null and Voiders will be saying to us, you missed out X or Y. Well, tell us and we'll mention it. But we'll, we'll try and do a headline uh, look through. On the football side, um, a couple of dates I picked up. 26th of February, this is a male game, Carabao Cup final, 26th of February. The final Premier League game is 28th of May, followed by the FA Cup final on the 3rd of June. 7th of June is Europa Cup and 10th of June is the Champions League final. On the female side there, season ends on the 28th of May as well. They've got a League Cup final on the 5th of March, so not too far away. And they've got the Vitality Vitality Cup final um, on the 14th of May. And of course, what they have got this time is World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, 20th of July to the 20th of August. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Really excited. You know, um, England have qualified under qualified. Looking forward to seeing the teams in action. But I think that could be an absolutely fantastic uh, tournament. You know, you've got all the best teams from uh, the Euros from this year just gone, plus America coming in, who, who have always traditionally been strong. And I think, is it won the last couple of World Cups? I think this will be Megan Rapino's last throw of the dice at the end of her career. And She'll be looking to go out um, with another World Cup winner's medal. I think it could be a fantastic tournament. And, you know, certainly Australia and New Zealand, you're going to get the best in terms of, uh, although it will still be their winter, the climate and the, you know, the harder pitches in some of the areas should lead to, you know, some really good, fast played football. Okay. What about the Rugby Union and Rugby League calendar? What does that look yeah. like? Uh, rugby Union, we've got the... Um, Six Nations, men's Six Nations starting on the 4th of February with the um, old battle uh, kicking off the tournament with England against Scotland, the old rivalry. So no doubt the week before that, the Scots team will all be watching Braveheart and gearing themselves up for the match, as they always do. Um, And then that goes on for uh, six weeks. Um, And then immediately that that finishes, we're straight into the women's 
Six Nations then. And this year, the England-France game, which is the culmination of that tournament, is being played at Twickenham. And they're looking to get a crowd of 50-plus thousand, which would, again, be a world record crowd for a women's international. So, um, again, there's a crowd of us already uh, booked tickets for that. Um, And then, obviously, the big event in Rugby Union this year that all eyes are turning towards is the Men's World Cup in France in September and October. So, uh, yeah, really excited about that. I've just been booking my accommodation this week for uh, my, I've got tickets for the England group games. So uh, booking accommodation in places such as Marseille, Nice and Lille. So, yeah, it's yeah. tough. Somebody's Somebody's got to do it, haven't they? Somebody's <laughs> got to do that work. Well, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that, you know, this is us. We're blowing the null and void budget on actually bringing reports to our uh, followers from live at these events this year. Why not? Why not? All right. I, I made a brief note of the Athletics World Championships taking place on 19th of August to 27th of August in Budapest. There are many other events, but they were definitely there. On the cricket front, and they have got uh, the men's test and looking at this in relation to what we're saying about what has happened. You think, my God, how are they going to do all of this? I mean, we've got Australia in the Ashes. They're playing at Edge, Baston, Headingley, Oval, Lords, Old Trafford. They're playing one test match against Ireland uh, at the beginning of June uh, at at Lords. And they're also playing T20 and ODIs against Ireland and New Zealand. And all of that, you know, ahead of anything else that's going to be happening, like a World Cup at the end of the year. Yeah, you got a 50-over World Cup in India, so England trying to retain the Cup um, and, you know, be the first English side to do that. So, yeah, it's a jam-packed agenda for the men's. And on top of that, then you've got the women, exactly the same. They've got a T20 World Cup starting just next month in Cape Town and South Africa, so playing in that before they then come back and play the... Washes the women's ashes um, against Australia, so they play it slightly differently. It's a, they'll only have the one test that's being played at Trent Bridge in um, uh, end of June, early July, um, and then you've got uh, ODIs and T20s, and it's a, what's called a multi-format series. So there are points awarded depending on who wins what, and at the end of that, the team with the most points. Uh, gets hold of the the little urns. So, yeah, really, really great to see. You and I are off to the Aegeus Bowl in July to go and yeah. uh, see the England women's team take on Australia in an ODI. Um, our football correspondent and myself, uh, Billy, and I are off to see the uh, day three of the women's test in Trentbridge. First time ever that the Ashes is going to have a five-day test. So after the women's games last year and the last couple of years, there's been some brilliant tests, but have ended in draws because it's been four days. They've actually got a five-day test. So hopefully this is a move towards getting more test matches in the women's calendar. But yeah, so we're off to that. We're also off to one of the T20s at Edgbaston. So uh, yeah, a great packed cricket summer with men's and women's ashes. And I think the fact that the two are running concurrently will really build the profile of the women's games as well as you know the men's games. It always... It's what all eyes turn to in cricket. The the Ashes is always a big draw. Yeah, certainly that. Um, 
Now, tennis, uh, the Australian Open is 16th to 19th of January. So that's very close by. Um, in other, in terms of other dates, you've got the French Open, 28th of May to 12th of June. Wimbledon, and I always like to say this because it makes me feel summer's not that far away, is 3rd to 16th of July. And the US Open, 28th of August to 10th of September. All dates, yeah. Yeah, all dates to look forward to. So mm-hmm. on the golf front, uh, February 24th to 28th, that is talking about LIV, that's the launch of their second uh, golf league, and that's in Mexico with that $750 million prize money. April 6th to the 9th is the Masters in America, and that's where LIV and PGA are being welcomed together. Whether they're welcome being together is another matter, but the Americans are saying... You're both here. 18th of May to 21st is the PGA Championship. And again, uh, we've got on the 15th to the 19th of June, the US Open. Um, We've got here on the 20th of July to the 23rd, the Open Championship at St Andrews, which again is another marvellous occasion. Mm. Um, And the Ryder Cup on the 29th of September. September. Cannot wait. The Ryder Cup is always such a great event. Um, I, I, w- I will admit to struggling to watch three or four full days of golf normally with a major. I sort of dip in and out of it. But uh, yeah, the Ryder Cup, four days, all that's sorry, three days, all systems go from the off. And uh, yeah, yeah. great. Should be good. I made a brief note of London Marathon 23rd of April. New York Marathon, 5th of November. There are many more, but some of the headlines from my point of view. Yeah, I've just put in my entry for the Leeds Half Marathon on the 14th of May. That's the That's being done a run for Rob Burrow. So that will start and finish at Headingley, uh, the stadium where he obviously played for the Rhinos. So that's the 14th of May. And then put in for the Yorkshire Marathon, which I was unable to do this year due to injury. So... That's the 16th of October. So, uh, yeah, half right. in May and a full marathon in October, both up north. I've done both of those in my time. But anyway, contacts. You've got a new challenge for null and voiders. Yes. Yeah. So we've talked a bit. And about- yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I'm in already and we've set this up. So we've talked already about motor neurone disease. And, you know, we've talked previously about how it's affected Rob Barrow and about Doddy Weir and Stephen Darby and what a horrendous illness it is. Well, Doddy Weir is part of the My Name's Doddy Foundation, started a few years ago, Doddy A. And it's um, in January. It takes place every January. And what we're, we've set up a league within the events. So what we're challenging our null and void listeners to do is for those of you who want to maybe get a bit more active, if you've had one too many mince pies over the festive season and you're looking to get out, get a bit of fresh air, get active, start doing sports or being just getting out walking or anything in the new year, we'd love for you to take part in the challenge that we're undertaking. And it's it's Doddy Aid, and you can sign up on www.doddyaid.com. And then what you do is you sign up, it's 20 quid, and that gets you a um, snood or buff or whatever 
people call it, partly in the tartan of the Doddy Foundation and partly in whichever region you sign up to join. A lot of people who are outside Scotland are signing up for the Barbarians team. I've signed up for Team Glasgow this year um, in memory of my dad and my dad's family are all up there. So um, you join up, 20 quid, and then you get on the app and you just record your mileage, whether you're getting out walking, running, swimming, cycling, golfing, walking the dog, rowing, whatever it is that you do, get on there, record it. And then basically when you've signed up, you can go in and join a league. And we've set up the Null and Void League. So just click on Join League and the Null and Void is one. Of, just type that in and it'll take you to the league. At the moment, it's Billy Carr and myself have signed up for that. And we'll basically be, it's over six weeks and we'll be sort of keeping updates on how people are doing and that. So we'd love for our listeners to get involved. You know, I know that times are tough with the cost of living crisis, but 20 quid, it's the equivalent of a couple of cups of coffee um, and it goes to a great cause, you know, and then you can join in with us. We'll even, I'll even, out of my own pocket, I'll put my hand in my pocket and offer up some prizes. Don't know what they'll be yet, but offer up some prizes for people who either raise the most for um, Doddy Aid on this in the Null and Void League and also those that, cover the most mileage or kilometers you can record it in both whether you're met metric or newfangled money so uh yeah we'd love for you to join in it's six weeks starting on january the first but get involved now sign up get you get your buff get your photos into us we'll put some stuff on our social media pages that let you know but www.doddiaid.com and then when you're in, join the Null and Void League. And yeah, let's get some competition going. So those listeners that are sporty and active, I'm thinking of people like Paddy Malarkey, Lee Spore, all those sort of people that listen um, and that are active, please get involved and uh, let's raise some fantastic money for an amazing charity. They're both putting the money towards supporting those people who are fighting this terrible disease and also trying to find a cure for it so the aim is to raise a million pounds in memory of the great man doddy who passed away sadly um at the end of last year so we'd love for our listeners to get involved so please do sign up and as i say i'll, I'll put the links and put um how to get into the null and void league on our social media pages you know instagram and facebook and you can all join from there and let's see how you get on so I'm at six miles already, um, two days in. So a little bit of a head start, but as a, a tubby lad from Reading, I think I need that head start. <laughs> good man, good man. Now, a related in a way, um, uh, subject for Get a Grip. You've, you've, you want to vent your spleen on this one? Yeah, looking at the New Year's honours list. Now, this always brings controversial decisions on and the whataboutery and who should and shouldn't have got um, gongs and awards and OBEs and MBEs and knighthoods and everything like that. I know that David Beckham has written some emails in recent years, absolutely venting his spleen at the fact he's not had his knighthood. Um, I think he might have blown that, despite queuing for all that time earlier on in uh, September, might have blown that with the uh, Qatari Reals um, later on in the year. But Kevin Simfield, 
we've talked about him before. For years, the Leeds fans have known him as Sir Kevin Sinfield. That should have been recognised in this year's New Year's Honours list. I cannot believe that a man who in 2020 ran seven marathons in seven days and raised over a million pounds for motor neurone disease. In 2021, ran 101 miles in 24 hours, raised over a million quid. And this year, as we've talked about, seven ultra marathons in seven days and raised over two million pounds for that charity. In 2021, he was awarded an OBE. He got his MBE in 2014. But why has he not been given a knighthood? Now, there is a rumour that there's a five-year rule saying that you can't, if you've been awarded one honour, you can't be upgraded or given another one within five years. Absolute poppycock. I have been through all of the government rules and regulations on nominations and the nomination committee rules and the documents that you would submit to nominate someone with a fine-tooth comb looking for this, and there is no mention of it whatsoever. So if it's an unwritten rule, it's a it's a ridiculous rule. I'm not going to get into the whataboutery of does Kevin deserve this more than X or Y, but it's a disgraceful snub. He's not the only one to be snubbed as well. After, you know, with other events, when teams have won World Cups or Ashes or things like that, and honours have been sprinkled around like the confetti um, on the pitch when they've lifted the tournament... Uh, only four of the Lionesses have been awarded um, uh, honours. So four and Serena Liegman has been given a Commander of the British Empire award. But there was a whole team and a whole squad. In other sports and other events and men's events, the whole squad have ended up getting MBEs and OBEs and, and that. Only four of the Lionesses? Come on, you know. And even worse, again, where other teams have made World Cup finals or, you know, events and the whole team have been recognised, not one of that rugby league wheelchair team were on that New Year honours list. So three disgraceful snubs there. One, only four Lionesses being recognised when they won the Euros. Only, well, none of the wheelchair rugby team, when they won a World Cup, which normally teams have had open-top bus rides through London, meetings with the royal family and trips to Downing Street. They've had nothing. And then Kevin Simfield, a man who has absolutely done all of this and is so self-effacing, he would never put himself forward or talk about it, but it's a disgrace that that man has not been given a knighthood. So Rishi, the government... Whoever's in charge of the nominations, get a grip. Get Kevin Sinfield recognised. And if you're not going to do it in the New Year's honours, then it's got to be for the King's Birthday honours. Well said that, man. Uh, once more with feeling, as they say. But the, I think when England won the World Cup, they, they mucked about with that. Not all the team got them straight away. It was mm. later with some of them. Why? Who decided that? You know, and again, with this, with the Lionesses, four? For, yeah. What? What's the basis of that? And again, without getting into what about three, you compare that with the 2003 Men's Rugby World Cup team. Everyone got, you know, yeah. sort of gong and 
Clive Woodward obviously got his knighthood for being the coach. Deserved, and I'm not going to say not deserved, the Ashes in 2005. Yes, it was the first time England had won the Ashes back since 1986, but all of the team. But when they're thrown around like confetti in some instances, why aren't people who are winning tournaments and winning medals not getting these awards and getting recognised? And for someone like Sir Kev to miss out on a proper knighthood and to turn what the Leeds fans call unofficially Sir Kevin Sinfield into an official Sir Kevin Sinfield Knight of the British Empire is ridiculous. Okay, good man. Right, that brings us to a close. And I, I did say earlier on, with no room for guests, we certainly haven't. There's so much <laughs> material. I hope you enjoyed that catch up and that look forward, uh, because as ever with with sport, as we've said before, it's a, a a gift that just goes on giving. And that calendar for next year is so exciting. And we've only covered a small amount of the sports involved. That's the exciting thing about doing null and void. And the great thing is that for our listeners, hopefully they'll think it's a great thing as we do. We're going to be there every week taking you through that, giving you updates, giving you our thoughts and uh, reactions to some of these amazing events that are taking place this year. So absolutely excited. And yeah, even more than last year, we're going to be giving you updates on what we saw from being at these events. And as ever, you can rely on me to bring you an update on what the food was like at each of the grounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's probably people look forward to that even more than the uh, sport. But anyway, <laughs> that does bring us to a close tonight. And as ever, great to be back with you after the Christmas break and looking forward to a very, very exciting year. Make sure you're with us next week at a similar time and place that suits you around the world, as we can say, with our 35 countries. You know, that's the exciting point. And we won't stop with that one. We're going to grow that base. Any way you want to contact us, contact details at the end of the podcast. Look forward to being with you next week. See you later. And don't forget Dotty Aid, folks, and we'll give you an update on who's in and who's taking part next week. See you. Cheerio. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on N and V at forthenow.co.uk.